0: Welcome to Board Game Binge, the place where we bring you bite-sized, bingeable board game content from across the industry. I'm your host, James Staley. And in this episode, we're continuing our chat with Chandler Copenhagen. Chandler is a director of business development, sales, and partnerships at CrowdOx, a leading Kickstarter pledge management software company. Today, we're going to get through some discussions on prior campaigns and some learnings and maybe some what not to do's. So let's get into it now. Chandler, how you doing? I'm doing good. You know, this is uh, round two. So very, very quickly, I want to uh, get you to give people just a brief description of what is CrowdOx before we get too uh, deep into the woods. Uh, And I'll just encourage anybody that if you want to get real deep into CrowdOx, check out episode 12 of our audio podcast uh, or you can just go on the board game binge Facebook group, just go into the uh, the media section and you can check out uh, previous interviews and you can find Chandler's interview there. So Chandler quickly, what is Crowd
1: And Basically we support crowdfunding creators, helping them with their Kickstarter uh, and Indiegogo and other platforms, helping them to uh, essentially kind of finalize that process. Crowdfunding is a pretty challenging and unique process and uh you know, it needs it needs tools to reflect that. And so we have a set of tools that help the creator to organize all of the fulfillment and back end part of the shipping, of the uh, of the organizing the, the details, selling add-ons. Basically, we, we help make the unsexy part of crowdfunding be a little bit more sexy. So
0: Hey, anytime you we can doing. make something more sexy, that's a good thing, I think. So. <laughs> exactly. So last time we had this interview, um, right near the end, we just started getting to some of the meat and potatoes of it. Like some of the, you know, some of the key things that people might want to learn from looking at other campaigns that have been done before they do theirs. And I kind of tasked you with coming up with a list. We don't have to get an exact number, but let's start off. What's something that you've seen recently on one of these campaigns that you would say is something people should definitely do.
1: So the, you know, as a first thing, because I have a lot of things that will come to mind. I've talked to a lot of people in different circumstances. I mean, more than 2000 creators at this point. And one thing that st- stands out pretty consistently is there's is, there's a lot of apprehension, right? A lot of, uh, a lot of, whether it's board game or not, it doesn't really matter. Somebody is coming to the table to make a, a campaign on Kickstarter. The majority of them come to the table ready to make something. Uh, some creative process. Typically, it's a product, right? Because we're on yep. Kickstarter, Kickstarter is product-based. And uh, most of us are in love with our idea, which is good and important and, and, and very, um, how do I say, it's, it's invaluable, right, to be able to do this successfully and to do it correctly. But at the same time, what we often have is a lot of people aren't really here for the right reasons. They don't realize what they're getting into. And so really kind of, I mean, a main point of advice that often end up getting to is like, well, you know, did you, do you know what you're here for? And it's really kind of pick your path, right? So board games, especially in the tabletop space, we have this even, I think even more um, uniquely categorized, because if it's a backpack or if it's one of these, you know, odds and ends that are being made, It's different than if you're making a tabletop game that's going to fit into, you know, an established community with established publishers and, and a lot of like, you know, it's, it's there, there's a community there, right. And we're just kind of plugging into what exists. And so as we make a game and we, you know, we try to produce something new in this, in this space, um, first kind of making sure that, you know, your path, I think is a pretty invaluable set of information because, uh, there's a lot of, uh, designers that i've worked with that love to design but they actually found out the hard way that's like creating a business like actually having to deal with like numbers and logistics and like all of these other things that come with this and i just like to make cool stuff i just like to make games and and i have a really good way of thinking about you know game design and so those individuals tend to kind of show up to kickstarter thinking like this is an easy way to make money i'm just gonna like launch my game and boom, like I'm gonna make 30 grand. I did the math, like I calculated it out. I'm gonna make 30 grand in profit and in in one month and it's gonna be awesome, right? And that's like, that is the, uh, the, the pipe dream that often we kind of fall into. Um, and so it doesn't really matter what stage a particular person is in. I think just knowing uh, or trying to understand or learn like about what is it I'm getting into and knowing your path is really invaluable um, because there are a lot of, other options there are a lot of ways to that win condition right and uh we you know as we seek to figure out our path to that win condition most people don't even know what they're after in the first place don't know what they're you know what the what's going to trigger the end game right so the i think that that's a pretty key uh element to to tackle
0: so when when you look at that and in, I mean, I, 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 see this a lot when you talk to people and they, you know, they'll say, Oh my God, you know, Kickstarter's great. Like just go to the crowd Ox page and look at their clients. Look at all the guys making millions of dollars, right? Like, yeah. man, if I can, if my game is better than that one, I just saw. So I, I'm sure if I go on Kickstarter, even if I can do a quarter of that, that would be, that would be great. So mm-hmm. setting that path or, or charting that path, is it when you say getting into it for the right reasons, is it about actually getting a game to market? Is that what it basically all boils down to? So it's not necessarily about just getting a, a game made, or it's not just about, um, Hey, I just want to make a bunch of money. But what I'm hearing you say is the path is to be very clear on, okay, we have to get this product to market in, in a successful way and then defining what is success, right? And, and how does that model yeah. work out? I think sometimes is uh, what people don't necessarily do is also map out what, what is failure right? What yeah. does failure look like and yeah. what is the plan mm-hmm. when you fail, right? Because if you fail, then the math is very different, right? It's easy to do math saying, you know, based on us succeeding, we're going to make X amount of dollars and here's, here's mm-hmm. how much of my profit's going to be. But if you don't hit your objective and, you, and you're not successful, did you invest money in, you know, did you uh, sign contracts and all these other things that you're now tied into? So is there kind of a negative impact by not, by not uh, being successful. And I think the key you want for for Kickstarter specifically is if if it's a fail then, or say not fund, I hate to use the word fail, but if you you don't fund, then hopefully that's a break even, right? It's not a significant loss.
1: Mm -hmm. So I love talking about failure actually. And it's really, it's counterintuitive, right? We're trying to figure out how to be successful, but a a failure is, my I am in love with Japanese culture, and there's kind of an element of Japanese culture as well as really many cultures ancient cultures that have this relationship with death right there's this relationship that is actually yeah. different than we relate to with death i think as a especially in the in the u s as a culture you know we, we death is purely negative failure is purely negative like but there's actually a completely different relationship with a lot of those cultures to to death or to to failure. And, you know, I think coming to grips with the fact that you are more more likely to fail at Kickstarter than you are to succeed, first and foremost, is an important piece of information, right? Like the number of campaigns that are live at any given time on Kickstarter, somewhere between 3,000 and 4,000 um, campaigns live on Kickstarter any given time. Yeah. Um, that's dropped a little bit. Pandemic didn't help, you know, kind of. Uh, it made some waves there, but uh, somewhere in that range, you, you, you got a lot of other people doing similar things and feel the same way. And um, that's not to say that uh, a great idea or a great product can't come out of that, but just knowing that failure is kind of a part of the package. And I, I think another element, especially in the tabletop Industry, because like I, I think I've shared this before, but I, I work with categories of all kinds, products yeah. of all kinds,
0: and not just and Kickstarter that, either. You even work with Indiegogo as well, right? That's so. right. Yeah. yeah,
1: different platforms. Even some there's some Japanese platforms. There's some platform. Anyway, yeah. the point being is that the the variety is actually really fun because the tabletop industry is unquestionably the most educated category, the most educated group of creators and backers that exists in the crowdfunding space without question. And part of that is because it's already kind of built well for a community, right? Like all of the, we all play games together. We, uh, all of the publishers of the, you know, that make the games tend to have really good relationships. They interact and communicate well. Uh, there's kind of this coopetition that happens that, you know, is, is unique. Um, and I absolutely love it. And so that's what has kind of brought the, uh, the, the, um, intelligence, emotional intelligence or kind of the overall, um, understanding about crowdfunding to a higher level, it's really exciting, uh, but it comes with its own inherent flaws and challenges, right? And so as I'm a creator, I pick this path, I decide to go do crowdfunding and kind of venture off on my own to become, you know, to publish my own games. It's like we're talking about, I I do need to not only realize, I think most people kind of have some sense that like I could fail. And that actually is what holds back the most of us, right? holds back most of us from doing great things is this fear of failure. Yeah. Um, I think, I think kind of embracing the fact that I need to fail and I need to fail quickly and I need to fail a lot is something that I learned, uh, when I was pretty young and, uh, taught by my dad and some, you know, people in my life that like, I think has helped me just in a, you know, non-professional sense and in a professional sense is that we need to fail quickly and, and, and as often as possible, which sounds so counterintuitive, but yeah. if we, if we consider like everything that takes somebody to a to a success everybody loves the success story of i only had four dollars in the pocket you know and this whole thing but it's it's because that's that's kind of how it works like we go through a lot of adversity in order to get to uh the the gold prize and to kind of illustrate that one of the best um i mean kickstarter itself as a as a company as a you know for what it stands represents yeah um they started their the Kickstarter started in 2009. I mean, just right after the great recession here in the US, you know, we had, yep. I mean, actually around the world, there was a, you know, a recession or a depression period. And uh, I think adversity brings out some of the best innovation. And, you know, we learn more from those experiences than we do from, you know, when, when things are kind of chill and, and, you know, doing well. So um, yeah, I'm all for failure. It's actually rather interesting if you take uh, tabletop campaigns on Kickstarter and you, you look across them, you actually have a higher repeat, uh, repeat rate than other campaigns. So, uh, I've worked with, you know, thousands of these campaigns and, and a lot of the design or technology products that we all see on Kickstarter that are really consistent. Yeah. If one of those fails, the likelihood of them like relaunching their campaign and trying again is almost next to zero. I mean, it's like they, most of them never do it. Um, and, In fairness, most, a lot of them probably figure out a new path. They completely just think of like, well, maybe I'll go direct to e-commerce. Maybe I'll get an investor. Maybe I'll do this. Maybe I'll do that. Um, but what I do love is that on Kickstarter though, we do have a lot of tabletop creators that they try two or three times relaunching the same campaign, learning from their mistakes, trying to adapt and, and adjust. And uh, I think it's fantastic. It's super good.
0: Do you think that's partly because Kickstarter has become almost the marketplace for the industry? So for the indie industry, right? There's, yeah. I mean, you can sell online, you can sell um, you know, at, at retail, if you can find a distributor that'll carry your game and there's a limited number of distributors and there's only so many big players that can actually make it all the way to retail. And what I'm seeing is a lot of indie publishers exclusively almost use Kickstarter as their marketplace, right? So there's Mm -hmm. a lot of risk that's taken out of the system, right? Because you're, Mm -hmm. you're pre getting the almost like pre bookings before you go and manufacture, if you do it right. Pre sales. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if that kind of continuing to, to come back at it over and over again is partly because of, um, the fact that it's the marketplace. I think it's definitely part of the fact that as you're saying, these, uh, uh, competition, cooperation, um, dynamic. It's a weird dynamic, but it is, it exists where you see a lot of people mm-hmm. trying to prop up, uh, other players. Right. And you often yeah. will see competitors saying, Hey man, you know, let me see, well, what can I do to help you out? Well, you know, how can mm-hmm. I, how can I lend a hand? So I, I think for me, the biggest shame is when I see somebody go back and relaunch a game and they change nothing.
1: Correct. Yep. That is...
0: That's- uh almost criminal (laughs)
1: yeah that that's where that's where it's it's you know the sadly like you know what you end up getting is is kind of in a sense deserved right like the purpose and point of failure is really so that you can adapt and learn and yeah i've worked with uh i mean let's just imagine for a moment that you were guaranteed to succeed Your, your kickstarter was guaranteed to succeed Didn't matter what it looked like. Didn't matter what you did. Like not only would we have quality just tank and and all have all these issues products like wouldn't ever be fulfilled. We'd end up getting a lot of garbage out of, you know, out of people because it's like a kind of a quick thing. I've actually had a couple of scenarios where there were some projects that that I, you know, was aware of that they basically got funded automatically and the products weren't good. and, And it was really, really bad. I mean, it's bad yeah. for the entire ecosystem uh, of, of this crowdfunding space, but it's bad for the creator because they get a pat on the back when it's not exactly, you know, thrilling and exciting. And it's kind of hard, right? Because the, the, especially in the tabletop space, we have a lot of games being made and, yeah. and games are also kind of easy to make. Now I'm not saying that it's easy to produce a game. It's not easy to manufacture and do a Kickstarter and do everything related there, but it is somewhat easy to come up with the concept that allows a game to function, right? I mean, that's the beauty of game design is that you can take something that exists and make it different and better and and add kind of the game theory to it. Um, I think there's probably many
0: publishers that would actually agree with that. That would say, you know, making the game is the easy part. Right. Mm -hmm. It's the all the other stuff, the logistics, the manufacturing, the Kickstarter, the audience building and so forth. Yeah. Um, So sorry, continue. (laughs) Oh, yeah,
1: you're absolutely right. Like it's and they definitely would, because at the end of the day, uh, you know, just producing, you know, basically what is a process that you follow to to have an enjoyable experience like that kind of is easy. Um, I mean, I shouldn't say it's easy because it's I, I respect it. I respect the heck out of it. I'm not good at it and all some of those parts to it. But I'm just saying that that part of it is not the difficult part, right? And that is not yeah. the barrier to entry. There's a lot of people that have those games, and so as we kind of look at this pick your path concept, I think that uh, you know uh, there are a pretty good chunk, pretty good sizable chunk of, of of people that have produced a game that should consider looking for a publisher that should consider a path that maybe is allowing them to focus on what they are great at doing which is yeah. making something and and kind of coming up with a, an, a novel concept and you know really maybe world building or whatever it is and, and and focus in and hone in on what they're what they're great at and you know lean on those that uh that are great at what they do and and so kind of that merging of the mind um can i think come out of that it's not to say that though we shouldn't have a ton of people doing their best to try their hand at uh, crowdfunding and at, you know, making their own publishing company or uh, that kind of a thing. But it can be, uh, there's a lot to it and it's not going to be the easy path. You're picking kind of the hard path.
0: So I got Mike Brunner's in the uh, lobby listening. I know he's a big fan of CrowdOx. He used it for his game as well. Uh, Queen Bee. Mike? Yeah, which I believe Queen B. I I just now. got a
1: shipping notification.
0: Did you? <laughs> I'm still waiting uh, for mine, but I tell you, <laughs> when I get it, I'll be uh, I'll be doing a cartwheels. I can't wait. <laughs> Um, but he says, you know, it's kind of like this, a lot of the, the problem with a lot of games is you got this kind of tree falling in the woods situation, right? Where you may have the best game ever, but if you haven't found a way to build that audience ahead of time, uh, you may be setting yourself up for a lot of disappointment. And that kind of leads me into another question of, and I'd like to get your thoughts on this is, do you see audience building almost like a double-edged sword where, um, in some cases you might have amazing games but the people haven't necessarily built the audience up in order to get people to even know about it. But on the flip side, I'm wondering if from your experience, have you seen cases where um, there's games that aren't great, but because the person launching it has such a strong IP in another area or strong, you know, YouTube following, or they have some other huge audience they've built up somewhere else, they've been able to leverage that to get, uh, you know, quite substantial success on Kickstarter.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it happens all the time. <laughs> it's, it's absolutely super common. And it's, I applaud that, right? Like, because yeah. the amount of work and energy and resources and time that goes into even a, what I would might consider, like, I don't love that game. Like if I, if I'm in that, you know, if I'm not in love with the product, that doesn't necessarily mean that they failed because again, that win condition, that end objective that, that, the that they're after might've been, you know, different. And so, I I think that's why it's so important to kind of key in on that. Um, If somebody is really looking at the long-term to build a reputable brand to kind of, you know, be here for the long haul and make, you know, and bring forward the the next, you know, the next top 10 game, the next, you know, big product, like, well, if that's the end condition, the end objective, like then what I do to get there is going to be pretty different. And it's going to be, a longer process but you know i can produce something quickly and throw it out there and or throw a lot of money into something like you know somebody that that happens to you know be sitting on a good chunk of change that wants to invest that into this front-end marketing you know machine and produce really great images and everything that goes with that but the end product itself doesn't actually do well at the table like that kind of stuff happens actually quite a bit and and i think that uh you know I think it's par for the course you just kind of it's going to happen that way and and that's why I think it's so important that we kind of do try to figure ourselves out the more that people can also realize that you know if you go this path you are becoming a business owner yeah period a lot of people don't really think about that or try to avoid you know they're kind of worried about that maybe it's scary maybe the the you know I got to pay taxes like some of these things that come with come with that can be overwhelming and scary and so you know, finding a good partner, somebody you can trust that you can bring in to support the other parts of the business that you maybe are not as skilled at. Like, there are definite paths to success, even if you you know you're just the guy that knows how to make things really cool or make things look really good or whatever. Um, there's a there's a path to get there, but take the patience have the patience, and take the time to to make it happen.
0: And I think dig deep too, right? So when I you know I, I've talked to some uh, developers who um, have you know looked at some of these campaigns I just talked about where you see these huge yep. numbers and they're like, ah, the game doesn't really look that great, but man, they got some massive numbers and wow, that looks like that's the first you know game these people have done. I always say, look at look behind the curtain, right? It's mm-hmm. this this it is extremely rare that a massive uh, following on Kickstarter is going to materialize out of nowhere. It mm-hmm. there it, that I that crowd has come from somewhere, right? So it's mm-hmm. come from another property or something else. So you know, it's important to do your homework and, and, you know, discover how do they build that audience up? Because if you don't, yeah. you might uh, set yourself up for the certain level of expectation or not do the work that you need to do in terms of building an audience of your own, because mm-hmm. you're under this false perception uh, from some of these other things you've seen. What yeah. would you say would be um, of all the campaigns you've done, the biggest failure to success story that you've had in the board game industry specifically, where you've seen something just crash and burn and then, you know, you've relaunched them and then they just smashed it out of the park. I
1: have to think of that specifically. Um, I know that there's actually been a fair number. I mean, a, a good example, really just a general one that I could highlight, you know, I've had the chance to work with, for example, like is uh, the chip theory guys, um you know, if you look at like their Kickstarters, you go mm-hmm. through and really a lot of the bigger publishers or these companies that really can they can uh, Kickstarter was at the root of their company being you know coming into existence and there's quite a few of those now in the in the in this in the industry and of those um, a lot of them you can look at the first Kickstarter they ever launched and my guess and my my bet is that it's probably like you know tiny compared to the 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 big one that just launched that made a million dollars. Well, they went through like $40, $60, $60,000 campaigns. They're not 40, four $60,000 campaigns, or they, right. you know, a lot of these creators kind of, it's a progress, a process. And part of it is community building. Like you just described. Um, I think that would be probably my second main point would be to like, you know, did you start building your community yet? You know, did, when's the best time to start? Well, yesterday, right? Like you want to be building that as as soon as possible. And, and uh, it's not easy to do. It can be sometimes challenging. We are kind of oversaturated. There's a lot of things going on. And so getting that attention can be really challenging. Um, But it is a combination of what we talked about. Like there are a lot of products that are not great, but that are well marketed. And so Let's learn from that. And how do I market like that? And in order to get people in front of my my game that is great. And and uh, you know, to be fair, there's a lot of board games that we've all played that the presentation is actually terrible. Like the components are bad, or the artwork is really old and outdated and not good looking. Some of the best games and most popular games are that way. Um, So it's not doesn't just you know it's not the artwork that sells only. The things that last long term and that people really, you know, like long term are things that hold up actually mechanically. And, uh, and so the, um, I think that's a key, key aspect that, you know, I've worked with a lot of creators that, you know, they they, they, uh, attempt to the launch, they fail. I kind of like we're talking about, I've had others that reposition. So for example, I worked with, uh, smirk and dagger recently right? okay. and yep. with, with, with Kurt and, uh, he's a great guy. I've known him for a little while and, uh, and it's cool to watch him cause he's actually new to Kickstarter. Uh, but he's a well-established publisher does really, especially at really retail great games. Yeah. 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 does amazing. And, um, uh, and so it was exciting to see him kind of try his hand at uh, at Kickstarter at crowdfunding, and you know the one that he just did recently did very well. And it, that by itself is its own case study because the guys that made uh, th- that made that game um, they they had been working on it for years, like three years, and they had taken it to all sorts of conventions, had won the Salt Lake Salt Con. Um, I'm in Utah, so the, the, the Night
0: Cage. T- is he talking about the Night Cage?
1: The Night Cage. Yeah. Sorry. I didn't. Yeah. We yeah. had
0: those guys on the podcast. Yeah. yeah. You
1: did. Yep. Yeah. Cool yeah. game. And yeah. Cool game. Those guys are awesome. And it's kind of a good example of somebody that figured, kind of figured out their path, right? Like they ended yeah. up, I think at one point they probably planned on doing their own Kickstarter and planned on kind of going their own, this own path, this path. Um, but, uh, but teamed up with, uh, with Kurt and they had a great Kickstarter. They, um, yeah, it was only Kurt's, second Kickstarter too, you know, so, uh, but it but they did great. So kind of, there's kind of a uh, lessons to be learned from both of those perspectives actually.
0: Yeah. History tends to uh, repeat itself. Is, is there something that you find you're telling your clients almost, you know, every other client you talk to is like, guys, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta consider X, Y, Z. Is there something that you, you find yourself repeating a lot when you're doing these um, different Kickstarters with some of the, you know, specifically in the board game industry?
1: And once you're to that point, and that you're you're coming up to the table and say, and, and you have your game, and you're starting to get it played, and you're starting to get, you know, you've picked your path. You're maybe planning the Kickstarter, and you're kind of you doing that. You're you're going down that path. Yep. Um, the probably the single most uh, um, single most forgotten piece typically is the logistics, right? The the which is what I'm involved with with CrowdOx, oh, yeah. but the, the, at the end of the day, like. Shipping is the number one area that people lose money on these crowdfunding campaigns. It doesn't matter how successful they are, how big they went, they raised two million dollars or you know ten thousand dollars. Like that part doesn't really matter um, because this it's the it's the area where the cost is fixed. The cost is continually going up. The cost is much more expensive internationally than it is domestically. There are a lot of taxes and customs and duties and VAT and all these things that kind of get mixed and mingled in there. And, um, it's for, for the average individual, for, for even for myself, like knowing everything about that is really difficult. And so, um, for people that don't do their homework, their due diligence, the preparation properly,
0: yeah.
1: uh, they're the ones that bite it the most. And, you know, I've, I've known people that have legitimately had to take out more second mortgage on their home just to pay for the shipping costs of their Kickstarter, even though they raised six figures. Right. So it's uh it, it can be the biggest crux.
0: Well, here's an example, a very real example from uh, where we currently are at with the shipping rates changing uh, worldwide uh, dramatically mm-hmm. since COVID hit. Um, we had a game, Queen of Scots, that we launched on our last Kickstarter. And at the time we thought, you know, we're just going to focus on North America, you know, maybe later we'll, we'll get into the UK and other areas. Yeah. Small campaign. So we get all the games, all the games we did over fulfillment, all the rest of the games are here in Canada. Mm-hmm. Right, so I can ship down to Amazon no problem in the in USA. So yeah. I called up Quartermaster uh, in mm-hmm. the UK and said, You know what? I think this game might actually be good for you know the UK. I've got my uh, Amazon store there, I'm gonna send some inventory to you. I was shocked. I sent uh, two cases, so I put them in one big giant case of games. So it was mm-hmm. about 80 games. The cost for me to send 80 games to the UK from Canada. Yeah. It's the same as had I shipped a skid directly from the manufacturer <laughs> to the UK. <laughs> right. So, oh, yeah. when I look back and on that, of course, kicking myself saying, gosh, when I, I should have just I allocated just direct some of the inventory over. and just said, you yeah. know what, I'll figure it out when it gets there and, mm-hmm. and carved off some inventory to go straight to the UK. So, you know, and I've done a few of these now. So, you know, you can get caught very, very easily. And yeah. these are the things you really got to think about, you know, where. Once a campaign's done and the inventory I have left over, where do I want to sell it? Because if it's mm-hmm. not local and you plan on selling it in different parts of the world, you better think about that ahead of time. Now, luckily for me is a very small campaign, not a ton of inventory. But again, one of these cases where if you have somebody that's doing, you know, thousands of games mm-hmm. um, you know, that can get uh, crazy costly. Right. So,
1: yeah. Oh yeah. It, it, it's crazy because also uh, you know, when it comes down to shipping, we also don't really know what our, box size and weight will actually be we know what the if we've yeah. done our homework properly, we get a good idea of what it is we get a good like production. Uh, production level like prototype or something that we can kind of get a good sense of those things, but for the majority, like even even getting that sometimes is overly expensive or too difficult or you know not ready for and um, and so yeah I mean even that like if the dimensions change even a little bit uh, that's that could be putting you from this box to this box and now, you know, your price went up by X amount. Um, mm-hmm. the same is true for weight. You know, if your components changed and now you're using a thicker cardboard because of that stretch goal, you decided to throw in there last minute yeah. and you happen to have these metal coins now instead of the, you know, so the cardboard, like those little things actually add up a lot and uh, t- tend to hit people hard. So there's all these little, these kind of little hidden things that I am proud to say that the, um, uh, uh, on average, most people are more educated on that area yep. amongst the tabletop community than any other on Kickstarter by without question.
0: I think in that regard too, you want to make sure that um, when you're planning your shipping costs by weight and, and certainly by um, you know cubic size, um, understand the, the pricing bands, right? Because mm-hmm. if most of the uh, mail systems around the world have certain breaks based on weight, right? So if you're at one kilo, it's going to be one rate. Yep. If it's 1.1 kilo. Guess what? You're in the next bracket and that might cost you an extra five bucks to ship it. So that, you know, extra handful of metal coins or a little upgrade might have just cooked you on the shipping cost. So, um, so where, you, where, where you go from here, where's, uh, you know, crowd ox yeah, I'm sure you have, I, well, I know for a fact, you've got a ton of games that you guys have underway uh, on the different platforms. Is there any big game that you're working on that people should be looking out for or?
1: Uh, you know, right now there's, uh, we just had um, a bunch of campaigns that we've been working with. We actually have a weekly newsletter that goes out uh, that, that highlights all these awesome uh, campaigns specifically just for the, the the games and geek community, a lot of board games and video games and yeah. comic books. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So that uh, we, we always are featuring stuff on there. Um, I had the chance to kind of work uh, you, you had Dan Blacklock on the show yep. for uh, Token Sesame, and, and uh, him and I have had a chance to work together um, with, on that campaign somewhat. And, and uh, um, which is, I'm excited to get that. You know, kind of keep yeah, he crushes the pool. table. Oh yeah, I just I saw the I, announcement
0: today. he Hit like 550 thousand over this 400. Like it was, it was yeah, it, yeah.
1: <laughs> he hit 400,000, I think, which is us. Awesome. Yeah. So uh, Canada that US, translates yeah. to
0: like, I think 555. Yeah. That's
1: half a decent. mil for Canadians. Yeah. yeah. It's always looks a little bit better, right? Yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, there's always something cool going on at Kickstarter. Um, you know, it, it, a lot of people ask me cause you know, obviously we work with all these different campaigns. Uh, they, sure. you know, they ask like, is it, uh, because are we looking for just like the the big project like with CrowdOx? Are we just yeah. looking for the the big guys and the guys that are raising tons of money? And the truth is, like, no. At the end of the day, we all kind of all creators need some of this support and this help. And to some of the best games I have, have and I've played, weren't necessarily the biggest winners. And in fact, there's a lot of games that uh, that end up becoming really big yeah, that didn't start successes. out that way.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, let's see. I think it's up there, Gloomhaven, right? Like. Mm-hmm. Yep. Even though Gloomhaven, the the beast that it is now, it didn't start that way. The first campaign was what 100 grand, I think. Yep. You know, and and uh, so that should give hope to kind of the standard Joe, like all of us are actually to you know to Wingspan do what we can effort. to innovate.
0: Even though yeah. Wingspan wasn't Kickstarter, uh, it's was still like they the demand far far exceeded what they they didn't even have mm-hmm. enough games made. They had to go make more, right? So. Mm-hmm. Um and then you you also have a Discord channel, I believe, right? Through uh, Crowdox. Uh
1: so that, that that's actually just the personal uh, game okay. Discord, but uh but yeah, we can do some hangouts there. Crowdox has sponsored it in the past. Uh but yeah, we do some we do some gameplay and and uh just to hang out for for uh, people that wanna wanna so hang out. So if somebody
0: wants to become a the crowd, part of the CrowdOx community to kind of follow along with what you guys are doing, because there's always different projects and I always see your your email updates where there's Lots of great info in there. How best would they get on that list or would they connect with you guys?
1: Uh, yeah, the best way is uh, we we do have a newsletter. You go to CrowdOx. Uh, there's a button there that you can subscribe to that. Uh, you can jump in and uh, you know, I believe we are on our Facebook page. Um, just reach out to me directly if you want to. i would more than happy to help anyone that's, uh, that's looking at crowdfunding. I'm on cool. Facebook, uh, LinkedIn, any of the major sites, so.
0: Awesome. Well, Hey, that was, uh, that was over a half hour and, uh, it's always, it goes by so fast. Uh, when we chat about this stuff, uh, I hope we can get you back on this podcast again for round three, maybe in a few months. Yeah. Um, we we'll want to wish you all the best to you and your family and, uh, and keep doing what you guys are doing. You guys are obviously, uh, helping a lot of, uh, people, um, you know, reach their dreams on, uh, on Kickstarter. So I just wanted to thank you for that on behalf of the community. I appreciate it. Thanks, man. All right, take care. Cheers. Hey, Have a good one. This has been an episode of the Board Game Binge podcast, hosted by James Staley, produced by James Staley and Mike Bruner, with original music by Nick Smith. If you would like to watch these interviews live, simply join the Facebook group Board Game Binge, and you'll get access to live interviews, giveaways, and interesting board game content from across the industry. I can't wait for you to join us. See you next time.